0: Welcome to those who are joining us in the sanctuary and online today. It's good to be able to study the Word of God all together. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So at this time, I'd like to encourage you to take out your Bibles, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, or if you'd like to borrow one from the back, our ushers have the Bibles, just raise your hand, they will bring one to you. We are going to dive into the Gospels today in our series about the Bible. And we're gonna hear the words and see the stories of Jesus. And I'm gonna set the stage first a little bit with what Jesus is telling us in John five about how and why we engage the word of God. And then we're gonna practice together by digging into some passages from Luke seven in the scriptures together. So I wanna start with Jesus' words from John five because I think they set the stage to ask why do we study scripture? What's the purpose for studying scripture? And in John 5, uh, Jesus had just healed an invalid man on a Sabbath day. And this made some people immediately suspicious of Jesus, largely because of how they approached the scriptures. Because the Pharisees approached the scripture as a rule book listening the things that they had to do and not do in order to get God's favor. So when they read that God wanted us to observe a day of rest, a day of stopping, a day to just be instead of do, their response to that command was to try to define to the letter of the law what rest actually means so they knew that they were Sabbath resting right. And they ended up creating so many rules about how to rest right that it actually became pretty stressful to know if you were resting on the Sabbath. And then here comes Jesus on the Sabbath day and he restores this man to full health who had been an invalid for 38 years. And in response to this, the Pharisees' first reaction was to say, hey, isn't that work? Doesn't that violate our what is rest rule? You can't be honoring God by healing that man. Because they felt what was important in the scriptures is what we have to do or not do, they missed the most important thing, They missed what God was doing right in front of them. So Jesus uses this opportunity to point out to them what's gone wrong. He says to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So what is the purpose of scripture? Why do we study scripture? Its purpose is to reveal Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life for us. To show us the one who has come for us so that we find our life not in us and our getting everything right, but in him, in his forgiveness, in his restoration, in his saving grace. And the Pharisees studied the scriptures because they thought their only shot at eternal life was figuring out how to be righteous before God by their own actions. And if you haven't made your way through the whole Bible yet, spoiler alert, it's not possible to be righteous before God by our own actions. (laughs) The only way to be righteous before God is through Jesus sharing his righteousness with us. So if you would like a mental picture, it's kind of like Jesus has created and is standing under the sunny canopy of grace, and he's calling us to join him while we're out in the rain, trying to build a rain shelter with a box of toothpicks, right? That we're called to be part of what he has done for us. God gave us the scripture to show us why we need a savior. So when we study scripture, it's not to figure out how to perfect ourselves, It's to see and recognize the God who has come to be our Savior and to see what he wants to do in us by his power at work in us. We study in order to approach the one who has first approached us. So our study of the word can reveal Jesus in a couple of different ways. In John 5, Jesus says there are two kinds of testimony to him. Jesus works. The things that he does show us who he is and what he cares about. And secondly, the testimony of God the Father. The scripture and the prophecies, the Old Testament narratives show that Jesus came to fulfill the rescue plan that God has put in place, that through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, God Himself made the way in Jesus. So we can approach God not in judgment or fear, but in love. Martin Luther once called the scriptures the cradle of Christ, that the cradle presents Christ to you, but the important thing is Christ, not the cradle. So he's saying, don't get so enthralled with the craftsmanship of the manger that you forget to meet Jesus. And if we're careful, we can do that because the scriptures themselves are fascinating. Historically, linguistically, poetically, interpersonally. There are whole college classes designed around the Bible as literature. But don't study the wrapping paper and forget the gift. Jesus says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So the purpose of study is to lead to the approach. But the study is important too. Because in the field of aviation, if you think about that with airplanes, when people are being trained to land planes, they talk about studying the approach. It's very important to know what they need to see and know and recognize as they're landing into the landing zone to have a successful landing. But if you study without ever approaching, you're not a pilot, you're a reader, right? But if you make just any approach you find when you find it without studying, you never know where you're ending up. And in our lives of faith, when we fail to study for the approach, when we get away from studying the word of God and we get our ideas about who God is instead from movies or the internet or pithy quotes, it's easy to find ourselves landing somewhere that looks nothing like Jesus. That you might have approached something, but it's not the source of life that sustains and fulfills. There's only one Savior. There's one who calls us to come to him for life. One who is the fulfillment of God's plan to bring you back into his life forever. And you can't get to know God generically because Jesus is not generic. He has a character, a personality. He is a person who testifies to the personal heart of our God. So when we study the word, we study to recognize who Jesus is. Life isn't in the study of Jesus, it's in Jesus himself. But study is not the goal, homecoming is the goal. But study's important on that journey, so let's start the study. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. In our Quest Bibles, that's found on page 1511. It's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John the four Gospels. So Luke 7 is where we're going to start today. And there are four different stories in Luke 7 uh, of Jesus' interactions with people. And on the inside of your growth group study guide today, those four stories are outlined. If that helps you for note-taking, you can use that as well as we move forward. We're going to look at two of those stories today. And we're going to practice a Bible reading technique that you can use at home using the questions, what does this passage say about the people of God What does this say about God, and what is my response? So looking at Luke 7, it starts in 7 verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. So this story is about a Roman centurion who has a sick servant. And this Roman military officer wanting help for his servant asks Jesus for help through a couple of Jewish elders. So we're starting with the question, what are the people of God doing here in this story? The first thing you can notice is this man that they want to help is not one of them. He's from the enemy camp. He's a Roman soldier. But they admire him and they want to help him. So they come and they ask Jesus to intercede. And if you take a look at verse 4, you might notice, are they debating whether or not Jesus can do anything? No. They're lobbying that Jesus should help. So think for uh, for a minute, what does that tell us about these men? What do they think about Jesus? And what does it tell us about what they think about God? Will God care about the needs of people beyond his people? And what is Jesus' response to them? If you look in verse 6, when they come and they say, come and help this man, what does Jesus do? He goes with them. So what does that tell you about God? What does that tell you about the importance of prayer? (laughs) About interceding for other people? What does Jesus do when they ask him to help? He goes. How do you think God responds when you go to him with your concerns for people? So Jesus goes with them, but before he gets there, the centurion sends word that he doesn't have to come all the way to the house, that all Jesus has to do is give the order and he believes it'll be done. The centurion believes that Jesus has the kind of authority in the spiritual realm that he holds in his earthly military unit. And look at Jesus' reaction to that in verse nine. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. And Jesus immediately heals his servant over long distance, just like the centurion suggested. So what does this tell us about God? What amazes and delights the heart of the Lord, when we trust him, when we trust him to do what we know we can't, when we trust his authority, when we trust his good heart, and when we choose to walk by faith and not by what we see. And what else does it tell us? It tells us that Jesus is quick to celebrate faith wherever he finds it, that where he sees a heart that's seeking God, he recognizes that heart as one of his own, wherever it's found. And this story sets the stage for what we're gonna see later in the times of Peter and Paul, after Jesus' death on the cross, after his resurrection to life, after his ascension into heaven and ascending of the Holy Spirit, that God's plan has always been for more than just the Jewish people, but to draw the hearts of the whole world back to himself through faith alone in what Jesus has done, in Jesus' power and his love that Jesus' heart is delighted by faith. So now the question is, how will you respond? We've done the study. Now it's time to approach. We've seen the testimony that the Lord listens to those who intercede on the behalf of others. And this is the same Jesus who died for you on the cross and to restore you to his life. And knowing that, recognizing though the one that we're studying is right here with us right now and in seeing what you've seen about Jesus in this text is there someone you want to ask Jesus to care for in this moment and secondly you've seen in this story what makes Jesus smile how to amaze and delight God's heart it's by boldly trusting him trusting his power his authority and his good heart so as we respond to this Jesus that we've seen in the scripture, I'm gonna leave one minute of time right now to invite you to respond to Jesus with whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart, to silently ask Jesus to care for someone like these men did, or to talk to Jesus about boldly trusting him with something in your life like the century. So I'm gonna give one minute of time for you to do that right now. Jesus, help us grow in bringing our needs to you and entrusting you with boldness. All right, moving on. Next story. In Luke 7, 11 through 17, you turn the page in your Quest Bible. Uh, This story is about Jesus raising a widow's son, starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. And then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on and the bear stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So again, we'll start with the question there. What are the people of God doing in this story? They're mourning with one who mourns. And a widow in that culture with losing her only son is really without any kind of support. She had no one to take care of her needs. She's not allowed to own property or to work. So this loss isn't just an emotionally devastating loss, but it's a terrifying change in her ability to survive. And the people are mourning with her. And that actually brings a sign of hope into the story. Because if people are willing to walk alongside her in grief, these might be the same people who will help her survive beyond today. Right? Scripture says this is true religion to care for widows and orphans, to be family to those who have none. So what do you learn from the people of God and what they're doing in this story? And then, what is God doing here? What do we learn from the heart of God in Jesus Christ here? Notice, does Jesus wait for this widow to ask him for anything? No. Scripture says, Immediately when he sees her, his heart went out to her. And in verse 14, Jesus goes up and touches the funeral beer. Now that might not seem like a big deal to us at first, but it really was. Because that action would have made him ceremonially unclean. It was a sign of solidarity with her devastation. Jesus reached out to share in the uncleanness of death. Except that wasn't the end of the story because the life and the cleanness of Jesus is more powerful than death in this man. And Jesus' word and Jesus' touch made what was unclean clean and what was dead alive. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And what Jesus did here he came to do for you too. Because what Jesus touches comes to life. And what does this tell us about Jesus? What does this tell us about God's desire for us? Well, first you can ask the question, why did Jesus do this? For what purpose do you think he chose to bring this particular dead man back to life? What was so important for this man to do that he had to be restored to do it? Now, we don't ever even learn his name So obviously he didn't become famous for doing anything, right? So it wasn't to fight a battle or to, you know, challenge the Pharisees. It didn't seem like he became crucial to any kind of strategic plan or agenda for the Jesus movement. So why would the Lord move heaven and earth to reverse death for this man? Love. Love for this elderly woman in her very real need moved Jesus to act. Passionate, compassionate love, that's all. Love is Jesus' agenda. Now what does that tell you about what it means to belong to this Jesus? What does it tell you about what it looks like to be part of this kingdom movement? So now we've done the study, it's time for the approach. How will you respond to that Jesus? That Jesus who moved heaven and earth for the sake of this woman and history doesn't even know her name, but God knows her name. And what does that tell you about the Lord and how he knows you? How he cares about you? Maybe you need to ask the question, is there something in you that needs to be brought back to life? You might pray that Jesus would show you what that is, And that he would touch it with his restoring power. Or is the Holy Spirit convicting you about living out the kind of love that Jesus has for your neighbor? Are there things you want to ask him or thank him for or confess? We're going to take about half a minute now. And take time to respond to Jesus. To let you talk to him about what he's shown you about himself for you in this passage. Jesus, teach us to see your love for us. And for our neighbors, teach us to love like you do. Now, there are two more stories in this chapter. We're not going to get to them. But this model is something that you can use both in your growth groups this week or in your own personal times of prayer with Jesus to ask these questions What is God doing? What are the people of God doing? How do I respond? And in our Lenten Wednesdays, we're going to be practicing some of those techniques also in our services, 4 o'clock traditional, 7 o'clock blended. We're going to be seeking to know the character of Jesus, what he did for us on the journey to the cross, and what it means for our relationship with him today. And we're going to use the theme, Jesus, teach us. And the 40 days of Lent are a good time to delve into these practices, to grow in faith with the one who came for us. Because we can only become like Christ when we go to Christ for him to do his work in us. The most like Christ we can ever be comes from when our eyes are not on us and our behavior, but on him and his behavior. When we stop focusing on being the best we can be and allow Jesus to be all that he is in us. We study to approach. We study to see the testimony of the one who approaches us, even right here and right now. Come to me, he says. We study to approach with joy the one who has first come for us, who came to reverse death into life for us and lead us into his life. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the amazing love that you show us in your word, in your actions, in your presence here with us. Lord, we thank you for your love that took you all the way to the cross for us to give us a new start We pray, Lord, that you would give us a fresh new hunger for your word, to know who you are, to know the stories of your love and to know the kind of love that you have for us too through them. We pray that you would teach us to dive into your word and to study to approach you for all that you are and to know, Lord, that you have already come to us to draw us into your embrace. Lord, we thank you for your canopy of grace that covers us and draws us closer into your embrace. Lord, we pray that uh, every day you would deepen us in understanding the truth of your gospel, your good news is for us. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.